Well, good morning, Blueprint Church. Um, if you have your Bibles, again, uh, we are in Ephesians chapter 5. If you are new to Blueprint, we have been in a series called In Him, and we've been studying the book of Ephesians. And so last week, we took a break to uh, honor our fathers and celebrate Father's Day. And so this week, we're picking back up from where we left off from the end of chapter 4, where Paul is making a shift in this letter where in the beginning of the first three chapters, he gave us theology, the theology of the Christian life, and now from chapter four to the end of the book, he's just laying out practical application for us to walk out the Christian life, how we should live out the Christian life. And we said that the Christian life is not just about taking in information about God, it's not just about theology, but the Christian life is also about learning a person. It's about learning a person, studying a person named Jesus. We study and we learn about his teaching. We study and learn about his character, his life. And the more we study Jesus, again, not just about Jesus, but the more we study Jesus, the more we consume ourselves with knowing him, the more we become like him. And that's the goal of the Christian life. The goal of the Christian life is to be more like Jesus, to be more like Jesus in our relationships, to be more like Jesus in our jobs, to be more like Jesus in our families, to be more like Jesus in our thinking, in our actions, in our motives, to be more like Jesus in every single way. That's the goal of the Christian life, to be more like him. What you consume, what you consume will shape who you become, and that's facts. What you consume will shape who you become. We have a saying, you are a product of your environment, meaning what you consume or immerse yourself in will shape your thoughts, attitudes, and action. So my wife, who I love so much, um, she's actually downstairs right now. Whenever you start something with like, I love my wife, it's probably not gonna um, go right. But um, so my wife, um, she has this thing that she does. Whenever she comes home from work after a long day, right, and, you know, she works as a dentist, so what she does is pull people's out, uh, teeth out and drill in their mouth and all that stuff. So whenever she comes home from a very stressful day, she goes up into her closet and she pulls out one of her moo-moos and she slips into it, <laughs> right? And so for those of you who may not know what a moo-moo is, so a moo-moo is one of those lo long, flowy dress that grandmas wear, right? <laughs> that you know kind of looks like a hospital gown and so my wife she slips into her muumu because she finds comfort in that right and so she would slip into her muumu and then just kind of cradles on the couch and then just like rest there and i don't have any problem with that because i want her to do whatever she can to find comfort right so that's what she does my daughter brielle when she comes home from a hard day of school she goes into my wife's closet, and she finds one of her moo-moos, and it looks like this big old blanket on her, and she slips into it. And so now you have my wife and Brielle walking around the house, and moo-moos on, looking like twins, right? And so it's funny when I think about that. And then, again, if you talk to my daughter and you say, Brielle, what do you want to be when you grow up? Brielle would say, I want to be a dentist. Like my mom, right? So Brielle, 
She learns and imitates her mom. She learns what she sees. You know, her little eyes are watching her mom and not even knowing like why her mom does some of these things, but she's watching and she's studying her mom because she wants to be like her mom. She loves her mom and she wants to become like her mom. We know children for better or for worse. Our kids, for better or for worse, are a copy of their parents, right? They're a copy of their parents. They naturally imitate their parents because they are greatly influenced by what they see. Sometimes it scares me when I see that my son is just like me when I was young, right? But they naturally imitate their parents because they're greatly influenced by what they're seeing. So in Ephesians chapter 5, and this is what Paul is getting at, Paul is saying to us, imitate your father who is in heaven. Imitate God. The very essence of the Christian life is for us to be like God, reflecting his character, his nature in our daily lives to demonstrate how we have been greatly influenced by being in his presence. Imitate God. Demonstrating the radical change in us that has taken place because of the gospel. So in verse 1, Paul says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, right? Since you are now a beloved child of God, Paul says you are chosen. You are a very special child of God. We see this back in Ephesians chapter 5 when Paul says, God has predestined us from, uh, for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So you were adopted into the family of God. And so since you are now his special children, his beloved children, we are to imitate our father. And so this command to imitate God comes from a place of being beloved, right? If you have a pen or a highlighter, circle that word beloved. That command comes from that place of being loved. And that word literally means you are his favorite. You are his favorite. And some of us need to hear that today because regardless of how you feel about yourself, you are God's favorite. You are his beloved. And even at your worst, you are deeply loved by God. And so we imitate him from that place of being beloved. And so because we are deeply loved, we follow his example. We follow his, his guidance. We imitate him, allowing what we are seeing to shape our thoughts, attitudes, and actions. And so also, when we are in his presence daily, we naturally, and we are compelled to want to be like him, to emulate him in every aspect of our lives, right? In Acts chapter 4, when Peter and John were arrested from, for preaching the gospel and preaching about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, they were brought before a council uh, to face trial. 
And so when they were uh, before these high religious leaders and teachers and rulers, they were being questioned. And the Bible says that Peter and John were so filled with the Holy Spirit that during their trial, these men, these high religious leaders were so amazed, right? Acts chapter four, verse 13 says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were just ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures, they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Men who had been with Jesus. And again, if you have a pen or a highlighter, underline that. Can people say this about your life? Can people say this about my life, our life, that we are men and women who have been with Jesus, that we have been walking with him, right? We've been in his presence. Peter and John spent about three years with Jesus, right? Sitting under his teaching, and but not just taking in his words, but they were studying his life, right? So they were studying how Jesus prayed, waking up early in the morning while no one was awake, spending time with the Father. They were studying how Jesus showed compassion to the woman at the well. They were studying how Jesus showed mercy to the woman who was caught in adultery. They were studying how Jesus fought those who were being spiritually oppressed by Pharisees, the religious leaders. And so these disciples didn't just study the teaching of Jesus, but they studied his life because they wanted to become like him. It was clear and evident to these religious leaders that these men had been with Jesus. Could people tell that you have been with Jesus? And Peter and John were just ordinary men. They didn't even know the scriptures. But then you see how people could tell and they could recognize they had power, the same power and authority that Jesus had. They were a resemblance of Jesus. But then not just that, but then you look in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, and then again, you see when the disciples were full of the Holy Spirit. And in the way that we get full of the Holy Spirit is, again, spending time in the presence of God. These disciples were full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith because they had been with Jesus. People in Antioch, they started calling them Christians. Now, this is the first time that name had ever been used on the disciples. Before then, the disciples were just called disciples of Jesus. But now they're being called Christians. And the reason why they're being Christian, they're called Christian, this is really to make fun of them. Because the name Christian literally means baby Christians, little Christians. Right? Making fun of them. And so what these disciples did, they owned it. They wore that name proudly. And so because they were living a life that mimicked Jesus, people just saw them as baby Christians or little Christ. Right? And so these disciples were imitators of Jesus. And so this is what Paul is saying in verse 1. Be proud to be imitators of God. And so when we spend time in God's presence, the transforming power of God should be clear to all. Right? It should be clear to all. 
as we naturally begin to imitate his character and reflect his nature. And so can people confidently say that about us at our jobs? Your friends or your families or your neighbors can clearly say that they see a transformation that took place in your life, that now you are resembling Christ, right? How clear is it for people to see and sense the character of God in your life? Are you his imitators? Or are people surprised when they find out that you're a Christian? Right? You know, you've been working at your job for several years, or maybe you've been dating someone for months, and then suddenly they find out that you are a Christian. Are they surprised? And then sometimes them being surprised and people being surprised is not because they find out that we are Christians, but it's because they find out that all this time they couldn't tell a difference. They couldn't tell a difference. And the sad thing is sometimes we take pride in that. We take pride in being overtly Christians, right? And I'm not talking about just being like religious, but sometimes I think we take pride and like blending in with the world and for people not to feel weird that we are children of God, right? And so here's the thing. I think we sometimes think that's a sign of maturity, that we can blend in with the world and not be recognized as Christians, or we could be just kind of like, you know, covert Christians. And we think sometimes that's a sign of maturity. But Paul is saying, listen, you being a child of God should not be ambiguous. Right? Where people are like, oh, oh, are you a Christian or maybe you're not? No, that's not a sign of maturity. Paul is saying, wear that name proudly. It shouldn't be ambiguous about who we are. But it's for us to be very intentional about demonstrating our identity as beloved children of God. And so you and I are so loved, Paul says, by God that he wasn't ashamed to make his love stand out for us. Do you realize that? He wasn't ashamed to make his love stand out for us because he claimed us as his children while we were in our sins. And so we are to imitate him in that way where we're not ashamed to claim him because he claimed us while we were in our sins. And Paul says, be proud to claim him in the same way as our father. And so when Paul says, be imitators of God, the Greek word for that is mimetes. And that's probably not the best pronunciation because I don't really know how to pronounce it. However, in the study of this text, man, it, it just bring it, it brought it so much to light. The word means mimete, meaning to mime right, to mine. A couple weeks ago, um, I called our worship leader, Rachel, um, and I was like, hey, Rachel, I think we probably should have some mimes behind you. Like, have you ever seen that in churches where, like, you have miming ministries? I'm like, hey, we probably should have some mimes behind you and then, like, mime while you lead in worship. And she was like, yeah, let's do it. I was like, Rachel, I'm just joking. Like, probably not going to do that. Nothing wrong with that. But the, 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 the word mime, mime, right? When you think about miming, right, you have these skillful ways that people are mirroring movement and mannerism, right? We are mirroring, right, 
just things that we are seeing. And those are what mimes do. And this is what Paul is saying. As imitators of Christ, we are to mime him. Be a mirror of God's likeness. Becoming a living representation of him on earth. Like you and I are God's mime. Think about that picture. On earth. Mimicking him. And so this is not just about, when you think about that, this is not just about following a set of rules or obligation, miming God, right? Paul says is rooted in a person, a relationship, knowing a person, right? We are his mime. We imitate his likeness. And so that's the biggest difference. It makes such a difference when you think about following rules, because this is not what Paul is saying when he's saying be imitators of God, following rules or living in fear or obligation. But what Paul is saying, man, follow your father, mime your father, be like your father, mimic your father, mirror his likeness. And we see that's the motivation, and that motivation is rooted in love and not fear or anything like that, all right? And so imitating God shouldn't be a burdensome call. It's a privilege. So it's not a legalistic obligation, but a loving response to an abundant love of the Father that he has poured and lavished on us. And so I want to pause here and just ask you this question. I mean, when you think about this is you who are beloved children by God, are you experiencing that type of love from God, that you are his beloved, and that you are miming him from a place of love and not a, a place of fear? Are you experiencing that type of love from a father? And some of us may have experienced or, or, or may have experienced that type of love from our earthly fathers, and some of us, unfortunately, probably have Never had that type of experience from an earthly father. But we see that this love is not based, or this rule, or this command, this urging from Paul is not based on how well we can do and live. It's not based on performance. Um, it's not a rule that Paul is giving us, but he's saying, listen, despite of how imperfect, in, imperfect we are, like, we are loved. We're loved. Um, and so Paul says, imitate God as beloved children. And you know what's crazy about this command? To imitate God. It's a call for imperfect people to imitate a perfect God. Which sounds crazy. That imperfect people like you and I are called to imitate a perfect God. And this sounds very daunting right? Because this seems impossible. How do we do that? How do we hear a command like this and not feel discouraged already? Because how many of you right now could say, hey, I could imitate a perfect God? No. And so several times throughout the Bible, we see commands like this pop up. So because this is not the first time that God has set standards like this for the Christian life, right? For us to imitate God. We read in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, the Bible says, for I am God, this is God speaking, for I am God, consecrate yourself therefore and be holy for I am holy. Listen, that is the standard that God has set for us. That's the bar. 
We don't lower it. He says, this is how I want you to live. Imitate me as I am holy. That seems impossible already. But then he doesn't change these rules because he continues and repeat these over and over again. We see again in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 7. God says, consecrate yourself, therefore, and be holy, for I am your God. And then again, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26. You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. And now listen. This is not just in the Old Testament, but we also see this command in the New Testament because we see this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 through 16, where Peter says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. That is the standard that God has set. That's the bar. We don't lower that that we are called to be holy. Now we see this rooted in how we were created. In Genesis chapter one, verse 26, the Bible says this is where we get that we were designed to be image bearers of God. We were created in his likeness to mirror him. Adam and Eve were created to be image bearers. God created them to be his mirror, right? And this is what we call the Imago Dei. Human beings are created like sponges to soak in the presence of God and to reflect his presence on creation. And that's why Adam was giving the authority just like God to have authority over all creation. And whatever Adam spoke on creation, and so it was by naming the animals and having control to subdue all things, right? Adam was giving the image of God to reflect on all creation, right? And so this is why it's so innate and so instinctive, even in us and children, to want to imitate our parents, or even for us to want to imitate our idols or our heroes, it's instinctive in us to be image bearers, right? Now, when Adam was created in God's image to be his image bearers, that doesn't mean that Adam was created in every way like God to reflect his image, right? And so there are some things that God communicates to us that we can understand and we can receive and we can mirror and there are some things that are exclusive to him right and so when we think about God's nature like God being omnipresent everywhere right that's exclusive to him and when we think about God being omniscient knowing all things sometimes we think we know all things right but no that's exclusive to him God being omnipotent all-powerful that's exclusive to him but when it comes to love and compassion and grace, he communicates those things to us. But then he puts his image in us to reflect that to creation and to one another in relationship. And so the fact that we were created in this imago day makes it possible for us to mirror certain aspects about God. And so Adam, before sin, he walked 
side by side with God, mirroring God. But then when he sinned, this is where the Bible talked about how he was in or out of alignment with God. Right? Before sin, he walked side by side with God. But then once he sinned, he walked out of alignment with God. And the Bible says that when God came to the garden, walking in the cool of day, God noticed that Adam was no longer walking side by side with him, no longer mirroring him. Adam was out of alignment. And so this is why God had to go find, go looking for Adam, just like he went looking for us, because we were no longer in alignment with him and to bring us back into alignment. And so this is where Paul brings out this idea in verse 2 where he says, walk in love. And the word walk means to align ourselves by staying in close fellowship with God, walking side by side with him. And then we know that Jesus is the one who brought us back into alignment with God. Right? By establishing that relationship that was broken. And Jesus reestablished our relationship with God on the cross. His death on the cross aligned us with God by giving us his image. And this is what we've been reading throughout Ephesians. That we are now given the imago Dei of Christ. The image of Jesus. And now we are in him. And in Colossians chapter 1, Paul talks about this again. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Right? And then he goes on in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, but then in Jesus, the whole fullness of God dwells. So we have the image of God, but then now the fullness of God dwells in Jesus, which is all of who God is in his holiness. But then we studied throughout Ephesians. In him, we are now in Christ. And now because we are in Christ, God no longer sees our brokenness, but this, God sees his holiness. That's how we're able to fulfill this command. To be holy as he is holy. It's not our righteousness. It's not our holiness. But the fact that we are in him. When God sees us. He sees a mirror image of himself. He sees Jesus. And not us. We are rooted in him. And so because Jesus is the image of the holy God. The fullness of God's holiness we are able to fulfill such a daunting command, right? But then Paul says, the way that is continuing to grow in our lives, that we are maturing in our image of Christ, is that we are to walk side by side with him, walk in fellowship, walk in love, mirror his steps, follow Jesus. And then following Jesus, listen, following Jesus is a journey. Following Jesus is a journey. Imitating his life is not a one-time event, right? It's not a one-time event where you just pray a prayer and then instantly you look like Jesus. It's a journey. We are to constantly make decisions to choose to look like him. 
It's a journey where we will have bumps and bruises. It's a journey where we will fall but get back up. The Christian life is not linear, right? The Christian life is not linear. Sometimes we may find ourselves wandering around and may even feel lost. But it's a journey that God is on with us. And he will constantly bring us back into alignment and bring us back on track. And so not everyone's walk looks the same. Not everyone's walk looks the same. And this is one of the reasons why for me, when someone strays away from the faith or leave the church, I'm not quick to question their salvation because not everyone's journey is linear. Not everyone's walk looks the same. Each person's spiritual journey is unique with twists and turns and doubts and struggles. And while we may want for everyone to have this consistent and unwavering walk with God, the reality is people go through different seasons and experience different trials in their faith. And so for me, rather than rushing to judge or question someone's authentic relationship with God and whether or not they're a Christian, I want to listen. I want to empathize. And I also want to remember the power of prayer and trusting that God's grace will guide them and lead them back at his perfect timing, just like the prodigal son, right? When the prodigal left the house of the father, he went and squandered everything. But then at the perfect time, God convicted his heart and brought him back. You know, I'm glad that that text never talked about timing, how long it took for the prodigal to come back, because I would use that and be like, hey, listen, if you don't come back in like three months, then I'm questioning your salvation. Or if you don't come back in five years, I'm questioning your salvation. God works in our hearts and he knows the perfect timing to bring us back. But then instead of questioning or judging, listen, empathize, and believe in the power of prayer. Right? And you know what's interesting too? Sometimes, some people, the moment they become a Christian, God frees them from certain struggles, right? Maybe certain addiction. But then for some people, they probably never stop fighting those struggles. But you know what? The fact that they're fighting. Maybe they fall, but the fact that they're still fighting means that they're still walking, right? So just because you're not completely free, don't be discouraged. The fact that you're still fighting means that there's a fight in you, that you're still walking. So don't be discouraged, even if you feel like God hasn't freed you from all these things, that something is wrong with you. Right? And then you also have some people, God may even allow them to 
stray for a period of time through some deep, dark season, but then ultimately to open their eyes to see that there's nothing out there that's better than him. And so God has different ways of working in our lives. And that's why the Christian life is not this this one shot. It's not linear. God has different ways that he's working in every single one of us. Our life, our walk does not look the same. But Paul says we imitate God by walking in love. And the way that we do that is by looking at how Jesus walks. Walk like he walks. Keep your eyes on him, right? When we study how Jesus loves we are able to better imitate how he walks. But the question is, how does Jesus walk? When Paul talks about walk in love, how does Jesus walk? And what does that look like? Well, we know for us, if we are experiencing his love, we know that his love is patient. We know that his love is kind. We know that his love is enduring, is unwavering. We know that his love goes beyond our understanding. We know that his love gives us time and space to grow and to mature in our faith. And so when Paul says walk in this type of love, this love is the word agape. It's an enduring love. It's a sacrificial love. It's a love that hurts. It's a love that doesn't quit, right? He says walk in that love with one another, right? He says in verse 2, Christ loves us. This is how Christ loves us. But then he gave up himself for us. And that's that idea of that sacrificial love where Christ gives himself up for us. And he says, this is how we are to do and live with one another. And so Jesus displayed this extraordinary patience towards our sins. He gave up himself for us. He displayed this, this radical extraordinary type of kindness. And so Paul says, in the same way, we are to imitate him by being extremely patient, extremely kind with one another, even when it hurts, extending grace, understanding and being compassionate, reflecting that same type of love towards one another. And so Paul is telling us this is the type of love that we need to embody. But then he goes on, he says, when we imitate this love, Our lives become this fragrance, this fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so just like Jesus's life was a sweet aroma to God, he says your life needs to be a sweet aroma to God. Do our lives smell like a sweet aroma or does our life stink? Right? And when... We walk in a room, do you leave a pleasant aroma? Or when you walk in your room and leave a room, does it leave a repulsive odor, right? Or reputation? And pretty much what I mean by that is, are you making an impact where God is pleased by your life? Like, the way that you're living with your family and your friends at work, is God pleased by that, right? Or does that tarnish his reputation? Um, uh, Gandhi, uh, this Indian philosopher, 
when he was asked why he was not a Christian, because whenever he would teach, he would always quote the teachings of Jesus. But when he was asked, like, hey, you love the teaching of Jesus, you would always quote the Sermon of the Mount, but why aren't you a Christian? But then he said, you know, I love your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike Christ, right? And so Gandhi was observing Christians in their behavior and their disobedience and their selfishness and their bitterness and their hypocrisy, and that gave an unpleasant smell, and it wasn't the same aroma as Christ. And so to him, Jesus was a pleasant smell, but the Christians were not, right? It was difficult for him to reconcile and to understand how they could be in the presence of God, but then not smell like God. How can we say that we are in the presence of God, but then our lives look completely, completely contradictory from what we are saying, that we have been in the presence of God, right? And so if we say that we are in the presence of God and we are walking with God, then our lives should reflect that and our lives should have the same aroma as God. And so this is why Paul, in the next 10 verses from verse 3 to 13, he gives us these things that we need to put off, these aroma that doesn't smell like God, to put away these things that doesn't reflect that we have been in the presence of God. Put away those things that doesn't reflect a life that's been transformed by Christ. And so Paul says in verse three, stay away from sexual sins or impure activities that are not in alignment with God's standards. And so Paul says those things should not even be named among you. We should be so far removed from those behaviors or, so, uh, or some, some of those practices that people should never think that that's us. Paul says, be so far removed from it. Like sex outside of marriage, be so far removed from it. Engaging in pornography, we should be so far removed from those things. Or anything else that we watch or we do that doesn't please God. Paul says, be so far removed from it, right? Do we consider whether or not these activities are aligned with God? Then we get to verse four. Paul says to stay away from conversations that are filthy, foolish, crude jokes that degrade others or conversations that are just out of place with God's character. Things like gossiping, things like harsh ways that we speak to one another. And then some of us may have been raised in homes where it was okay to talk very harshly with one another. I grew up in a home like that. But Paul say, said, listen, don't imitate that. That's not okay. Because God says that our conversations should be seasoned with grace, right? He calls us to have a different way of communicate with, communicating with one another. And then we see throughout verse 11 to 12, Paul says, stay away from activities that promote darkness or go against God's principles. Pretty much what Paul is saying, call those things out. Expose it for what it is. Don't just live in secrecy, 
Don't just agree with it silently. Bring it out to the light. And that's how people will see the heart of God when sin is exposed and brought to the light. Right? There are some things that is in our life that we probably have to expose, Paul is saying. He's calling us to expose. What are some ways that you are walking in darkness that you need to bring to the light? You need to expose and confess. Confess to God and to confess to one another. Maybe confess to your kids that, you know what, man, daddy still has to grow in how he parents. I'm sorry for speaking to you so harshly. Or maybe confessing to our spouses. There are some things that we've watched that I'm sorry that I did that. Confess to one another. What are some things that God may be calling you right now to bring to the light and to expose? And Paul says, don't hide in the darkness. Don't just live in secrecy. Expose it. And then Paul says to stay away from bad company. Don't immerse yourself in relationships or activities that are constantly influencing you in negative ways. Right? Relationships that you know are toxic, right? And Paul is saying, probably need to cut that off. You've been dating someone that you know is toxic and it's not helping your walk. Today, God is telling you, you probably need to cut that off, right? Some of us need to cut those things off. And you know, it's interesting that Jesus kind of gives an image of that, what that looks like when he talks about things in our lives that are hindering us from fully being devoted to God, right? He says, listen, if you have those things in your life, you pluck it out, like your eye. If your eye is causing you to sin, you pluck it out. Now, of course, he doesn't mean that literally, right? So don't go and do that, right? But then he also talks about, like, if your arm causes you to sin, to cut it off. Take extreme measures, right? Because it's your relationship with your heavenly father that's being affected by that. And so take extreme measures to fight those things that are hindering you from deep intimacy with your loving father. Paul says to cut it off. And then look at what he says in verses 14 through 15. Wake up. Wake up. O sleepers, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And then he goes on, he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. And so Paul is making this plea, this urgent cry to us to wake up, stop playing games, wake up and see that the days are evil. Wake up and seize every opportunity to make Jesus known. Wake up from being nominal in your faith. Wake up from being ineffective. Wake up and be the light that you were called to be, the salt that you were called to be. Don't hide your light. Let Christ shine in you. Paul is saying, listen, open your eyes to see that there are people in darkness and evil is winning, or even in your own life. 
right? You could be so much more impactful, but then we are allowing certain things to hold us back from where God and the purpose that God has for us. And Paul is saying, wake up, stop wasting time, and let Christ shine in you. Open your eyes to see that people are in darkness and evil is winning. And you know, while we are sometimes too busy trying to figure out how to make people feel uncomfortable by dimming our lights, right? how we are maybe too busy trying to figure out how to make people feel comfortable by making them feel uncomfortable with the truth, right? We're too busy trying to make people feel comfortable by not making them feel uncomfortable. And Paul is saying, listen, wake up. We sometimes tell people, listen, you're being too radical. Dial it down some because you don't have to be so weird. You don't have to do all of that. And Paul is saying, no, evil is winning. Wake up. And so we have a group of people in our church who are about to go to Japan in a few days to take the message of Jesus to a very dark place. And, and later we're going to invite them up um, and just kind of ask them about this upcoming trip. But whenever we think about people like that who are going like overseas or just giving everything to follow Jesus, and sometimes we look at them and we're like, oh, those are the weird people. Like the, you know, like they're super holy or radical. Like you, you don't have to do all that. You just dial it down some, right? You're being too radical. And Paul is saying, listen, evil is winning. Evil is winning. Like Satan is playing at 100 and you're just playing at 10%. Like he's like, wake up. Don't dial it down. Wake up. Like, we live in Atlanta, right? You don't have to go. Yes, thank you for going to Japan, but I just also want you to know, you don't have to take extreme measures to go to Japan to make Christ's light shine on you. In Atlanta, right across the street, we have a neighborhood with people who don't know Jesus. We have right across from us right here, this apartment complex, people who don't know Jesus. And the Lord has blessed our church to be here. And Paul is saying, wake up from being just comfortable Christians, just sitting in church, playing church while the world outside is dying. Wake up. Wake up. And make the light of Christ shine on you. Um, as a kid, uh, I got saved when I was um, a 16 in high school. And so as a kid, um, being a Christian was never cool. Uh, and so um, I remember when I got saved and I was like, all right, you know, early in the morning I would get to school, cafeteria, pull out my Bible and try to read the Bible and people would make fun of me. And so I said, all right, you know what? I guess I'm not gonna read my Bible. And in, in, in school. And so I try to read my Bible before I come, right? Be because I was kind of ashamed of the way that people were making me feel. But then um, if you grew up in the 90s, um, you probably will remember this. Um, these WWJD bracelets, 
right? How many of you guys wore one? Yeah, a lot of us did, right? In the 90s, these WWJD bracelets were super cool because athletes were wearing them, right? Celebrities were wearing them. Everyone was wearing them. Even if they weren't a Christian, right? Everyone was wearing them, right? It was so cool that I had all colors, right? To match my outfit, right? And I still do. Um, I just don't wear them anymore. But you know what? We don't wear them anymore, right? Have you ever seen anyone wear them? No, probably not, right? Some, at some point, these weren't cool anymore. And I think one of the reasons why like, we don't see people wearing them anymore is because people found out that what would Jesus do is not fashionable. What would Jesus do is not cool. What would Jesus actually do is costly. It's costly, right? And so these bracelets, to me, when I see them now, it just reminds me that what would Jesus do is not about being cool, because what would Jesus do will cost you your life. What would Jesus do will probably cost you some relationships. What would Jesus do will probably cost your job. What would Jesus do will probably have you cut off from your family. What would Jesus do will probably cost you to stay in a marriage even when you think that this marriage is over? What would, you, what would Jesus do is very costly, right? When I finished college, um, I went into uh, uh, um, the medical field to be an eye doctor, and obviously right now I'm not, right? So I left um, that career to uh, pursue ministry, and when I left that career, my parents cut me off from pretty much their life. Um, I remember when I made that decision to leave, uh, my parents were just, I knew how they felt about it, and they were really upset that me, coming from Haiti, I was born in Haiti, you have all this opportunity. We came from, you know, like being an immigrant, and now like we put you to school, put you to college, and pay for all these things for you to do. And now, instead of being a doctor, the first doctor in your family to take care of all of us, you want to be a pastor? Right? They don't even make money. We don't. Right? And so, my parents totally cut me off. And I remember when I made the decision to leave to go to Bible college, I knew that my dad would fight me, literally, because he stayed home from work so that he could make sure that he res would restrain me from leaving, but he fell asleep. And so I realized he fell asleep, so I got up, I put a note on the fridge, hasted it on the fridge, and I said, hey, I love you guys, I'm out. So I went to a Bible college. I had no clue where I was going. In the middle of nowhere, no clue where I was going. Then on the Greyhound, I called my parents. I said, hey, mom, hey, dad, like, I'm good. You saw the note. I love you guys, but I'm safe. My mom hung up the phone on me. And I was like, oh, maybe it's just like the towers, you know, like just like I'm in the middle of nowhere. Like we got disconnected. So I called my mom up. I was like, hey, you hung up the phone on me. Uh, or, or we lost connection. She's like, no, I hung up the phone on you. Um, I'm like, why? It's like, don't ever call back. And so I spent about a year 
um, where I would call my mom, call my dad, and they're like, I don't want to talk to you. Like you are a disappointment, right? And uh, spent the entire time in Bible college and not talking to my parents. And then make a long story short, the Lord mended our relationship. So now my mom calls me pastor. She doesn't even know my name now. She's like pastor, 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 right? All right? But the Lord reconciled that relationship, right? Praise God for that. However, it cost to make a decision to follow Jesus. It cost. Yes, it cost maybe a more lucrative career, um, or maybe it cost the pride of being a doctor. Maybe it cost the pride of being the first doctor in my family, being an immigrant from Haiti. But what would Jesus do? We see that it cost, but when we also live like Jesus, we also gain. We also gain. We gain the Father. We gain intimacy with him. And we gain more than we've lost. Right? What would Jesus do? <laughs> yes, it's not cool. It's very costly. And so Paul says, if we are imitators of God, if we are imitators of God, we should be willing to suffer like he did and lose like he did, but also gain like he did. Being an imitator. We say it comes from a place of being beloved, not out of fear or out of obligation or anything like that. It comes from a place of being beloved children who desire to live and to imitate and to mimic their father to honor him and to reflect his love. And so it's a heartfelt expression that emerges from a deep place of identity as beloved children that we love. We are in this authentic relationship with our heavenly father. And because of that, we desire to imitate him, imitate him out of love, not out of duty. I want to pray for us. Um, Father, thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.